everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. Well, welcome back, everybody. And we are on our third session under the title, It Hasn't Always Been This Way. So Judy and I have talked about it hasn't always been this way in culture and society. It hasn't always been this way in the environment. And for our third session, we are going to talk about it hasn't always been this way in the church, how secular thinking and worldly thinking has infiltrated the body of Christ. Now, the church has always been under attack since its inception. Of course, there's always been false believers, if you will, in the church. Mm -hmm. The church has always been under attack. All of those things are true. But part of our theme is that we're saying is that, yes, but it's ramping up. It's more fierce than ever. And the things that we are seeing just are exponentially worse now as we grow closer and closer to the time of Christ's return. So we're just going to talk about some of the history and some statistics of things and sort of what we see happening mm -hmm. now and how that mm -hmm. relates to prophecy. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he was giving <clears throat> prophecy of the last days, you'd find a recurring theme. He kept saying, but don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. He's always talking about, you're going to be tricked. You're going to be tricked and uh, carried off base by something that will be a lie, and an innuendo that will take you in another direction. And so you look at the body of Christ, and he's saying, don't be deceived. If you look at the history of, of godly people in, in the Bible, you'll see that as the Jewish nation came back into the promised land, you know, with Moses leading them and then Joshua taking over the lead, they were told to get rid of false religions and anything in Canaan was supposed to be decimated. They were not to have any synchristic religions at all. They were to only worship God. And when you see a change in a culture as a whole, what I've noticed is that as American culture has become more accommodating to false religion and to new age thinking, you see the changes in the trickle-down effect just being embedded inch by inch into the church, the body of Christ. And that's what we see escalating very rapidly today, right. very, very rapidly. Just look at our culture today. There's a spiritual decline and compromise in the whole society. Take something as simple as church attendance. In 1955, and during those years, um, 57% of the U.S. population were members of churches. That's a lot of people. They just More come... than half. Absolutely. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Everybody went to church. It's just a question of which church do you go to when I was a kid? Where do you go to church? And everyone went to church. And by 1963, that, or by 1960, that number had risen to 63% of Americans were members of churches. That was just like the peak in 1960. But from there, it started declining rapidly. But fascinating that everyone went to church. All of my friends went to church. And we sang songs like, I remember memorizing the first song I ever memorized as a Christian kid was the church is one foundation. Mm -hmm. Chocked full of doctrine. It's just pure doctrine. We sang it and uh, memorized that in a VBS one year. So you have people are members of churches, but now we find that one in four claim to be practicing Christians. That doesn't mean they go to church. And I don't even think it's that many that are really going to church. I, 
when they say a fourth of the Americans are going to church and I drive to church. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't see a fourth of my neighbors going to church. No, I don't think anybody on my block <laughs> goes, actually. Yes. So. Well, so we find that the church attendance physically has declined. And it's fascinating with this COVID thing that um, the online churches, of course, have flourished. And everybody says, well, I don't go to church, but I watch it online. Well, you might have watched it once or twice, but I, I'm not really sure. I don't want to be a cynic, but the bulk of people are not watching it consistently. Let's just say that. And fascinatingly, along with that, in Hebrews 10, 25, I, I, the Lord has told us there that in the last days, he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves That's together. Right. That means That's physically right. getting together. That's right. As is the habit of some, but encourage each other stimulate each other to love and good deeds and encourage each other all, all the, the more, more as, as you day see draws, the day draws different near. versions yeah. but all the more yeah. as you see the day approaching yes. or as the day draws near so why isn't that interesting yes as you see it drawing near get together make sure you're yes. together do not forsake the assembling of yourselves in a physical way so physically we aren't getting together physically we're forsaking that to watch it. Now, I'm not, if you're homebound for a reason, that's, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. These are families and individuals that just don't want to be bothered. Right. But the body of Christ functions as a body together. You can't use your spiritual gifts when you're sitting on a couch eating donuts, watching TV. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Although, and it lends itself too to this whole, which has been going on for a very long time, a casual view of God. Very, very right? casual. Very view. casual. You can yes. show up in shorts and flip flops and you can go on Saturday night so you don't have to be bothered getting up on Sunday morning. <laughs> True. True. Right? Yeah. I mean, so it's whatever's convenient for you as opposed yeah. to... What does God say and what does God expect? Mm -hmm. And let me go that direction instead of, yeah, what what do I want to do? Well, I want to be home in time for the football game, so I just won't go at all. Right. Watch it online, and yeah. then there you go. Yeah. So you're missing the point of the body of Christ. But the attendance is huge, and it's a measurable entity. And I, as a sociologist, I love looking at the measures. You can actually calculate it and see where we're headed. And it's not looking good for people attending church in person. We also see that I think that one of the greatest problems and telling signs or symptoms of the Lord's return is that our relationship with the Word has changed. Our relationship with the God's Word, the Bible, the Holy Bible, has changed. Second Timothy 4, 3 and 4, the Lord tells us that for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. They'll turn away their ears from the truth and turn away instead aside to myths. We are there. We they are do there. not do not want to hear sound doctrine. No. It's it's mocked and um of course progressive Christianity is is questioning the basics of truth. Sure. You even saw that with Pilate when he was condemning Jesus. He said, What is what truth? What is truth? He was, truth was standing in right. front of him and he asked the question, what, what is, is truth? truth? And of course, Satan, his first question to Eve is, did God really say that? Right. Is that truth? Yeah. That's always so the bottom The Bible line. is where you, we're going to see the first um, wave of really trying to attack with a death knell, the church of Christ. Of course, that won't win, but God's word has to be held high. I look at the mid-1900s, 
And the Bible was viewed as a holy book. From my age, when I can see, according to Peter, where he says, they will say that nothing's changed. Everything's just like it used to be. What's the big deal? Jesus isn't coming. Everything's the same. Well, it's not the same. Go back to 1954, when I was a youngster in school in the mid-1900s. It was a book that was very much revered. And also public schools, in the public school system in 1953, I memorized, I was memorized the 23rd Psalm. That was part of what we did. You memorize the 23rd Psalm and then they give you a New Testament if you did that. That was That's the, astounding that we've gone <clears throat> yes. again from there. And right. it's really not that many years later. No, I, it was my lifetime. barely say the name of Jesus in public school. No, and you're not allowed to wear a t-shirt that has Christianity on it. Right. To school. I'm out there learning the 23rd Psalm and quoting it, you know, and getting my Bible from the school district. <laughs> so this wow. is, things have changed since the 50s. Um, in 1991 to 1996, studies showed that 45% of Americans read their Bibles at least once a week. I'm not even sure of that, because when you say, do you read your Bible every day? I don't know how accurate these statistics are. Right. Because when I talk to people and they say they're reading their Bible, they're usually reading a devotional, maybe, maybe a paragraph. Right. Or maybe one or two scriptures and then a devotional piece and that's it. That's it. Right. But not really reading the Bible. Right. But now, things have changed. Now, today, 33% of Americans claim to read the Bible once a week. Now, I'm thinking... I'm not buying that, because if they were reading it, they'd know more than they do about what the Bible says. Right. So I'm not seeing that in the general public. I don't believe a third of Americans are reading their Bibles every day. But as you break that down, the the older part of the generation are reading it more. And the younger people under the age, let's call them millennials, only 20 to 25% of them are reading it. So you can see it's lessening. 50% of the old people are reading it. 25% 25% of the millennials are reading it. So you see it's deteriorating yes, it very is. rapidly. Right. We're not even going to Gen Z in that group. No. We weren't no. even touching that with a 10-foot pole. Right. But the studies show that. There's, and there's, when you, they do talk about God's word, have you noticed how much confusion there is? A lot. It's so, so crazy. 71% of Americans view scripture. They'll say, oh, this is 71, almost three-fourths of Americans will say, yes, the Bible is the word of God. But only these same people, only 25% of those people say that you can take it literally because it's inerrant. Right. So that's almost the same as saying that it's not important at all. It's, it's a good book of poetry, or it's a good way to maybe live your life, or there's nice morals in it. It's kind of that frame, yeah, yeah. framework. But it's not the holy word of God to be taken literally, the living, active, sharper than two-edged sword Bible. Not that kind of Bible. Not that kind of Bible. Although they'll say it's the word of God. Hmm. God God gave it to us. But it's not really accurate in everything. Right. That that seems a little confusing to me. It is. They're contradictory Mm -hmm. thoughts. There's confusion in the ranks of of Americans and even in the church. There's a trend towards biblical skepticism, and it, you, you hear it even as you talk like between services to people in different churches, you'll hear just a little bit of biblical skepticism, and with each passing year, the percentage of Americans who believe that the Bible is just another book written by men, that number increases. 
And there's increasing belief that the Bible is, you'll even hear it mentioned, maybe too much Bible is harmful. And people who live by its principles are really religious extremists. Right. And that is what we are being called. You yes. just, I'm just a normal Christian, right? Judy, how about you? I'm yeah. just a normal yeah. Christian, but I am pegged as a religious extremist, extremist because yes. I take it literally. And piggybacking on that thought, just last week, we were identified as terrorists by our government. The greatest threat to America is, is terrorism. the government. Is terrorism. Right. They say it's terrorism. And but they they're labeling us as the as terrorists. Yes, we're the terrorists now, mm -hmm. which is like, wow, what a woe to those who call good evil and evil, evil good. good. They're flipping it over. And you just look at it and say, wow. Now, I'm not going to panic because God already told us this is going to happen. Right. It just means he's coming sooner. Right. But I weep for the body of Christ because we need to get God's word word accurately out there. What truths are changing in people's opinions? You think, well, mm -hmm. what are the things they're changing their mind on if they don't believe that the Bible's really accurate? What biblical truths are being questioned in gen you know, in specific? I have found it fascinating the belief in heaven and hell really changed. When I was a kid in in the 50s, people believed in God, Satan, and hell, and it was part of the national dialogue. Everyone, there was no question about that. Today, most people believe in God, but they don't want to call him God. They call him a higher power. This is in our culture. And the majority love to think about heaven. Heaven's a good thing. This is good. It's really funny, because if you ask Americans, not just Christians, but Americans in general, are you going to heaven? 64% of them will say, oh, yes, I'm going to heaven. Now, if you ask them, are you going to hell? 1% actually say, yeah, I think I am. <laughs> but, but hardly anyone buys into the hell. Right. We don't like, right. that's a hard sell. That's a hard sell. That's always been a hard sell, always will be a hard sell. <laughs> yeah, it's really amazing. But in our culture, you see people saying, well, that's just not loving to say someone's going to go to hell. Right. But if you talk to people, and this is what I find most of the time, Heaven is always their own creation. Yes. They serve the God that they want to. And heaven is made up of whatever it is that they Love. like to do. Yeah. I mean, if you're a bowler, you know, you got the bowling lanes and, every, <laughs> and everybody's there. Everybody's there. The only, the only people that aren't there are, you know, Charles Manson and Hitler. Everybody else <laughs> is, gets is a pass. probably there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah is probably there. And they're going to sit you know, around in yeah. their lawn chairs and all shall be well. That's really the attitude that's there. And you see where they're getting it. They're getting it from um, all kinds of disparate places, random sources, and they're making, creating their own heaven. Right. They say it's um, like movies and music and novels. They don't think about the beliefs. They just say, well, I like that idea. Yeah, that's what heaven is. Mm -hmm. We're going to go play poker forever or, you know, right. shuffleboard right. or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Bowling. <laughs> you never know. So, uh, what's really crazy, though, you get a bunch of atheists together and agnostics and you query them on what they think. One out of every eight atheists and agnostics, they believe that they will verbally believe and accept, say that accepting Jesus Christ as Savior makes life after death possible. Really? And you see the craziness mm -hmm. in it? There's mm -hmm. a complete disconnect between critical thinking and the, and the conclusions that they come to. Right they're not critically thinking anymore. Right. It's just kind of random thoughts out there. And these contra contradictions are just fueled by the media and society. 
There is also confusion among those who identify ourselves as born-again Christians. We, if you identify as a person who's confessed our sins to God and we're depending on Christ to spare us from eternal punishment or rejection, there's a problem because if you take those people who say, I'm a born-again Christian and Christ died for my sins, and you put them all in a room in America, all those people, and you take a survey, 10% of those people believe you're reincarnated. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, that's off. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. Obviously. No. 9% claim it's possible to communicate with the dead. And of course, that's an abomination to God. You right. don't do that. Right. <laughs> right. 50% contend that you can earn your salvation by good works. Now, these are people that would qualify in answering questions about doctrine as being born again Christians. So the church has got a problem. Right. The church, systemic church in, in America. Right. There are many Christians born again who believe that people have multiple options to get to heaven. That's very true, which is just astounding. Yeah. yeah. And people are saying, oh, I'm trusting Jesus as my means of getting God's favor and place in heaven. But you know, the other guy, Sam over there, he could get to heaven if he, if he just lives a good life. Right. So they're not convinced that he's the only way. John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. They're not believing that. Right. So the church is doing a bad job, I think, in teaching God's word clearly. Or maybe people are doing a bad job of listening. <laughs> I think it's both. <laughs> yeah. I think it's both. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and going hand in hand with that heaven and hell debate is another doctrinal truth that, that they're not buying into. That, dev- that the devil is real. They don't want to believe that the t- Satan's real. 40% of people who claim that to be Christians believe that Satan is not a living entity, but he's just a symbol. It's, it's like a power or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Not really. And 10, two out of 10 of the Christians who, are, who say that they're Christians, they say they agree somewhat that Satan is real. But not, they're not totally convinced. Which is just... Unbelievable. Because if you don't believe he's real, like you're saying, how can you take him seriously? How can you believe in spiritual warfare? How can you believe in hell? When I was a child, Satan was taken very seriously. You did not talk ugly about you. You didn't. You didn't even talk about this stuff. It was so bad. Now it's like a joke. I mean, and people play with Satan, right? um, With witchcraft and all kinds of things, not realizing the power of it. It's a scary thing. I think the fact that they're not believing in, Jesus, in, in, in Satan as a real entity, it, it also points to the fact that they don't believe Jesus was sinless on earth. Was he sinless when he came to earth? Did he die as a sacrificial lamb who had no sin on him? Was he spotless, sacrificed for my sin? 22% of Christians strongly agree that Jesus sinned. That's awful. Now, this, how can... How can a fourth of people who are attending churches in America say that Jesus sinned? I mean, does I mean, that... it's such a basic truth of the Christian faith right. that to get that wrong, if you if you get that wrong, he's you not got God. Everything wrong because he's not God. He's not God. He's not the perfect sinless sacrifice. And so. you have twenty two percent of the Christians saying, you know, I I don't believe he was sinless, and you have another seventeen percent saying, well, 
I'm not really sure. He might have sinned. I don't know. So that adds up to almost 40% of people attending churches really don't know if he was sinless or if he was divine. He was just a good teacher. Uh, It's very, very, very upsetting to me. And with the Holy Spirit, you can, as you can well imagine, they say that the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power and presence, but isn't a real person. person. So he's not the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. No, it's just like a, a good force, good vibrations. Good, yeah. <laughs> good, vibra- good, 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 good vibrations. Good vibrations, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, maybe there's a force for good, but not, uh, not an entity. Uh, indwelling by the Holy Spirit is something person. they don't know anything mm-hmm. about. That's, that is very sad to me. Satan isn't real. Jesus, Jesus isn't sinned. sinless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Holy Spirit isn't a person. Heaven and hell are up for grabs. Right. And the result, or maybe the cause actually, is a lack of biblical literacy. Right. We just that don't know the Bible. That's true. <laughs> the inconsistency in our doctrine. I mean, just listen to how chaotic we think. I was stunned when I was looking at how we think because there's no rationale. But almost half of Christians who believe that Satan is only a symbol, okay, they're saying Satan's just a symbol. Right. But they say demons are real. Which is very splintered. Yes. Right? Yes. How, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Mm-mm. And then you see half of those who agree that the Holy Spirit is only a symbol, they agree that the Bible's accurate, completely accurate. But that's not, you know, it's inconsistent with their belief. Right. So that doesn't add up. Then you see one-third of self-defined Christians, they, they believe that any holy book, the Bible, the Koran, the Book of Mormon, they all teach the same truths. And, and they all are really teaching us and leading us to God, the universal God. That's a third of the people going to churches. Does that not strike you as weird? Yes, it's very <laughs> weird. <laughs> Very weird, especially with all of that coming together. You can just choose one of the holy books, if you will, you know, lumping them together. Yeah. Which is, but it goes into the whole homogenous mishmash, which is, oh, all paths lead to God. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm choosing Jesus, but you can choose whoever you want. I would never say that you can't choose whoever you want. I mean, I've heard that a lot. I'm not going to step on your toes. It would be hate speech. Yeah. So I'm going to choose him because... That works for me, but whatever works for you, that's, that's the trend very, very much so. And I don't think, like you're saying, 50 years ago, in even any kind of mainline Protestant no. church, if you asked no. someone, is there only one way? Did Jesus say there's only one way? Like you said, John 14, 6, they would agree. Oh, yeah. It was, there was no question about that among Christians. Now we have um, actually it started way back, I believe, well, certainly earlier. It's always been here. But in America, it really picked up ahead of steam. Um, after Israel became a nation, the war ended, and then we went right into the Vietnam War in the 60s. We imported a lot of Mideast religion. Right. And we became, we assimilated Mid- Middle East thinking, hence the Beatles, you know, and all their jazz. So we had all of that uh, cultural Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Confucianism, Confucianism exactly. <laughs> coming into yeah. our our culture and we were told not to quest, not to be rude and then we have um 
a melting pot in America of immigrants coming from the Middle East, bringing in, as we saw after 9-11, and over the last decade or so. Islam. Uh, Islam mm -hmm. is coming in mainstream. And mm -hmm. we were told, don't be... Fastest growing monotheistic religion yes. in the world. And don't be mean and say ugly things about them. Right. That's hate speech. Right. So we aren't allowed to say anything about their religion, or we are hate speechers. And that's becoming more inculcated in our law. Right. But how are we as Christians dealing with all of this change that is in, I, it's a nominal Christendom. I mean, if these we would have to say probably these people aren't Christians that are saying these things. Right. But nonetheless, how do we as a church deal with it? There's nominal Christians, and then there's the real born-again Christians. And born-again Christians, according to Barna surveys, I, George Barna does a lot of surveys with measurements within the church itself and society from a Christian perspective. And born-again Christians will, are more than twice as likely, of course, to say that the Bible's accurate and twice as likely to say Jesus was holy and never sinned. And they were three times more likely to say the Bible is the inerrant word of God. So we see that, that the church itself, the true remnant, is holding firm. Right. But they're not holding as firmly as they used to. As they to. used to. Mm -hmm. And the remnant, the percentage of the remnant is shrinking of those who really hold to truth. Um, you're probably aware of the battles that have been in seminaries, the people training the pastors for all the churches, whether it's Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, all of them, there have been battles that are still raging and almost almost over. It seems like the, the dark side has won in most seminaries. Yes. For... What is truth? The battle for what is truth. The, is the inerrancy of scripture up for debate? Right. Those battles are fought in seminaries, and those pastor candidates come to churches for the next generation with a watered-down concept of who God is. That's right. And there's a lot of, you, you I know, have a lot of examples of watered-down churches. Well, the things that I see happening, it's just really incredible, actually, and I mean, we've seen, yes, I still, I still remember, I would say back in the early 90s when the school that I worked with was at the United Methodist Church in West LA. And I saw one of the youth pastors had a pink triangle on his bumper sticker and as a bumper sticker. And I, that had something to do with gay pride. Mm -hmm. And I remember when those things first started to happen, when the Methodist church in Hollywood, the big Methodist church put the red ribbon for AIDS permanently on their, uh, like a column there mm -hmm. on the church. And again, like you said, I'm, I'm all for uh, wanting to get rid of AIDS completely. And I, of course, I have compassion for people who have been ravaged by the disease. It's the political and social, yes. um, what you would say, condoning Yes, and it's in, that, that, they're, that they're doing. And infiltrating the church. And infiltrating the church, yeah. And so then there became this big, these big battles because then you're going to have, you started to have all these splinters because they'd be getting together saying, well, we're going we're gonna to accept this doctrine and this other 
you know, group is fighting against it and mm-hmm. saying, no, we can't do that. That's unbiblical. And then you just, this has been happening for yes. probably, I don't know, at least I've seen it in the last yes. 20 years, yes. just hardcore. So you see the change. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's a deterioration. It's a change in a trajectory in a very different way. Things have not always been, been this, this way. way. <laughs> and now we have these, just this stuff has been happening in the headlines recently. This just happened with Saddleback Church. Now this is a non-denominational, mm-hmm. very very popular Christian church and they they're I guess one of the largest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention and home to Pastor Rick Warren. Now somebody told me he retired but I looked it up on the website and it still lists him as senior pastor. They just recently ordained three women as staff pastors. A move critics say violates the denomination statement of faith as it should. And there was a Facebook post, I guess, that said yesterday was a historic night for Saddleback Church in many ways. The Southern California um, megachurch's Facebook page announced on May 8th. And I'm like, yeah, the night you directly disobeyed scripture. But okay. So Al Mohler said calling them or any woman a pastor is at best unwise and confusing, which is true. Now, he is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, of course, in Louisville, Kentucky. The Southern Baptist Convention doctrinal statement states that the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture, because that's what scripture says. And Al Mohler is right. Well, he has been shunned and they he was up to become president of the convention, the Baptist Convention, not just the seminary, but mm-hmm. the Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm but he was shot down. So the president of the SBC has changed and there's been a lot of infighting with that. And so there was some kind of three-way standoff, but I guess they thought that Al Mohler was going to maybe take the position, that maybe he was going to get it. And they completely rejected him. He received only 26% of the votes, Mm -hmm. which is really shocking. Mueller was knocked out during the first round of ballots, receiving only a quarter of the votes. And then this other guy that won, I mean, this is just, it's just very significant because now they're headed in a liberal direction. And so the guy that won, this is interesting, he affirms the denomination statement of faith, which declares the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. Mm -hmm. In the past, however, Lytton is his last name, Lytton's wife, Kathy, has helped him preach about marriage during church services. And he says, my wife is a great teacher. I have no doubt that she is, okay? But my wife is a great teacher and she helps me communicate to our people, he said. Some Baptists, including Moeller, believe only men can preach during worship services, which we believe too. That's what scripture says. So he's supposed, this guy, this new guy is supposed to be conservative, but he says there is room in the SBC statement of faith for local churches to make decisions for themselves. So this man, who's now the president of the Mm -hmm. SBC, is supposed to be conservative, not as conservative as Al Moeller, but he's supposed to be conservative, is saying, Look at that language, that churches can make their own decision about having having women pastors. About most of anything, basically. He's opening the door for each church to make their own choice. Right. And uh, it opens it up for a lot of false teaching at times. It does. I mean, and I think it's very interesting that a lot of what's happening with the churches and the schisms and what have you and all this, this infighting is being instigated by 
women wanting to be pastors. Mm -hmm. And Beth Moore, she just left the SBC because she's no longer, so she's no longer affiliated with them and there's a lot of reasons why, but she's so in the liberal camp now. She happily preaches to men. And I found this interesting. Kate Bowler, who is an author said, Moore is one of the denomination's few standalone women leaders whose platform was based on her own, quote, charisma, leadership, and incredible work, work ethic and not her marriage to a famed pastor. And then in parentheses, it says, Moore's husband is a plumber by trade. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? It's like, it's so interesting. It's like they wanted to do this little slam. You know, yeah. he's just a plumber. Oh, he's just a plumber. But Beth Moore, she is X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then, uh, so it's just like these women in the pulpit and driving, driving this division. And of course there's that, there's social justice movement infiltrating the church, which is a whole nother deal. But I do think it's interesting about the women because first Timothy, of course, 2.12 mm -hmm. says, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And the Greek word for permit is used in the New Testament to refer to allowing someone to do what he desires. Perhaps there was a situation where some woman was desiring to preach from the pulpit. How long ago was this, everybody, right? Paul had to address it. <laughs> yeah. He's saying, you may not fill that role. There are others to fill. God's design is wonderful for women as well. And the women are not to have authority over the men in the church assembly. In other contexts, they're free to teach. Like right now, we're yeah. this podcast is yeah. you could be teaching women uh, about eschatology, but they're, we're not on the Lord's day. And we, you know, and we so we could be preaching quote unquote the word of God to men and women in in the living room, but it's not the pulpit and it's not the Lord's day. And do they also forget about Revelation 2.20? Nevertheless, I have these few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So presumably an example of a woman who influences the church in the same way that Jezebel influenced the Old Testament Jews into idolatry that's going to happen. So I just find the timing of this as we're it's talking about it very interesting. It's very interesting. And I, I am so thankful for women. I mean, here we are, two women talking about God's word. And we have a calling to, to speak very boldly. I appreciate the women who are embracing the truth and speaking boldly. Now, men can eavesdrop. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> if you're out there and you're listening right now, you don't have to hang up just because you're a man. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but you're right. Our calling, if you look at God's word, we have so many jobs to do as women and so many audiences. We don't need to worry about being the king of the church. Right. We don't need to claim that spot. God's going to speak through us if we're just faithful wherever Amen. we are. We don't need to do that. But this is an indication of the, the heated context of the battle. The, and it goes back to the gender issues from our culture. You know, it's a bleeding in in that area into the church itself. And we also see that you think of what you were talking about, apostasy with Jezebel and everything. And in the last days, we're going to see more and more apostasy, which means uh, a falling away, a, a teaching things that are false. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, it's we're told, let no man deceive you by any means. That day shall not come, except there be a falling away first. So 
When we see signs of the falling away, it should break our hearts, but at the same time, it should encourage us because the prophecy is being fulfilled. And we have to go that direction. We, we have, have to say to. that. We have to say this yeah. is God said it would happen and it is happening. Yes. First, Tim I, oh, go ahead. I think about the, right, in this First Timothy 4, one that in the later times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we see that so much. I think about people that are uh, famous, you would say famous Christians, mm -hmm. for instance. I mean, and again, we've seen a lot of that over the years, you know, men in pulpits getting um, caught in adultery, et cetera, a right, lot of that stuff. Right. But just recently, a lot of prominent Christians leaving the faith. Like I think of Joshua Harris, the yeah. writer of the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, then he got married. And then a couple of years ago, he renounced the faith and kissed his wife goodbye. That was major headlines, that was right? So Wasn't sad. it awfully, it was awful and awful sad. sad. And then the singer of Hillsong, Marty Sampson. And I find this just almost nauseating, the, the quote that I'm about to read about him. But he started leading worship in the 90s. And Hillsong is a huge, yeah. huge worship entertainment just right. entity, you yes. know, and he says, time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Like what bothers me now is nothing. I am so happy now. So at peace with the world. It's crazy. I'm like, yeah, it is crazy, but not why <laughs> for the reasons you think it's crazy. <clears throat> yeah. He said, I don't, I just don't have any real faith in this Jesus bloke. I mean, look at how wow. condescending that yeah. is. But I can write a good love song with the best of them, and that's been the secret to my success. Wow. How sad is that? His and success. The, his, yeah, of, mm. of course. And mm. then John Steingard, former frontman of the Christian band Hawk Nelson, revealed that he no longer believes in God. And so it's just interesting to see these headliners, if yeah. you will, yeah. now say that, I'm losing my faith. I'm losing my religion. And in, in every case that I've read, they, if you kind of check up with them, I don't know, a couple months later, a year later, or whatever, oh, they're thrilled. They think they just made a wonderful decision. And they use the same language. Oh, I'm at peace. Okay, deceiving spirits that yeah. you are believing doctrines <laughs> of demons. Yes. I mean, Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. And it feels good. And they feel enlightened. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. Fools. And that is exactly what's yeah. happening and later yeah. times just means i was reading about this the period from the first coming of christ until he returns and it right. will reach its apex shortly before christ returns and the greek word for depart is the source of the english word to apostatize mm -hmm. and refers to someone moving away from an original position yes. yeah we know they're never yes. truly converted but and we hope that they do actually well, become true christians right. but they move away from that original position and even worse for them, with all the light they've been given, all the all the gospel and that they've talked yes, about. Yes, that's the worst. Is that not awful? Well, it's the worst. And, they, and th he has a lot to say about that in the book of Hebrews, but I won't go into that. How he, he feels about people that have had the light and rejected it. Um, it breaks my heart and it brings me to prayer. You know, we need to pray for these people. My knee-jerk reaction is to get mad and want to write a letter. Sure. <laughs> or maybe rant Remember, and rave. Letters to the editor. Yeah. They didn't really even, you know, they do that a little bit now, but it doesn't even Not seem like much. they really do Nobody that anymore. Reads it. No. You know, but basically, I need to stop and pray for these people because they're being deceived. That's right. Jesus kept saying, don't be deceived. Let no man deceive you by any means. We have to be honest about this and understand what truth is. And, and interestingly, in 1997, which 
seemed like only yesterday to me. Right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was a while back. You know, that's 20 some odd years. Was that 25 years ago yes. almost? At yes. that point, 75% of all Americans believed in absolute truth. I mean, they believed in an absolute truth. I mean, so now you have that same number of people. In, in 2016, there were 74% of the millennials think there's no absolute truth. It just depends on your experience. Completely. We're in postmodern, so, post-postmodern post now, and they, they don't believe that there yeah. is any such thing. Oh, it's, it's, we are not an, even a post-Christian. We're in an anti-Christian culture Absolutely. right now. We are also told that false teachers are going to be, and intellectuals, are going to exhibit great signs and impressive wonders that are going to thrill crowds. So we better know that. We better be ready to mm -hmm. see some crazy stuff coming down the chute. That is such a great point. Yeah, we better be ready to see some weird stuff that might say, well, goodness, maybe they are right. No. 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 As a matter of fact, when if you see big crowds, it's probably not of the Lord. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm not because saying Because we're a small never. group, to be sure. Yeah, the remnant is really small. Yeah. I'm not saying that if there's a crowd, it's not godly. I'm just saying... You see, Jesus, he did most of his teaching and intimate work with small crowds. He, the crowds were just fickle. Right, they just, right, They just Absolutely. wanted you to throw him a piece of bread. Right, you know, yeah. He, yeah. Was, <laughs> he yeah. was in it for, for the people that had a heart for him. And what's, we understand we're living in the last days. We are here to see it. We are women who can read God's word. We are been called by him and given a, a heart to see. He's enlightened the eyes of our heart. We can see what's going on. We're discerning of the times. We are handpicked as women in the church today to speak out and to be bold, right. to just absolutely be bold about what we see happening. Because Jesus said in Revelation 16, behold, I am coming quickly and blessed is the one who stays awake. It's not fun to stay awake. It isn't We have fun. to work at it. We do. Because, <laughs> you know, leave it to me. I'll be in bed at 830. Really? You know, I don't, I don't want to stay awake man. ever. But it's true. We need to really... Uh, goad each other and spur each other on, as Hebrews 10 says. Spur each other on. But when these things, I'm going to say it again because I love the scripture, begin, begin. to take place. Mm -hmm. Straighten up and lift up your heads. It's no time for fear. It's no time to cower. Right. Your redemption is drawing near. Amen and Maranatha. Hallelujah. Come quickly. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.